The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Church, so good to be with you this morning. I'd invite you to open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, because that's where we're going to be this morning. We are wrapping up our series in the book of 1 Peter, which we've been going through uh, these last couple months. We live in a very individualistic society. What do I want? What do I care about? How do I want to portray myself? How do I get others to care about what I care about? How do I get others to care about me? And so it was very jarring even 20 years ago when I went to a concert. Uh, It was a Third Day concert. Some of you are familiar with the band Third Day. And I was there enjoying the concert. And towards the end, the the band had left the stage. Uh, They had come back out for an encore. And they were singing this simple worship chorus. And they had taught the entire audience the words to this chorus. And so the audience is singing along uh, with the band as the band is, is singing this song. And I'm a music guy, and so I just closed my eyes and just listened to what was happening around me. And just hearing all these voices singing Uh, This praise chorus to Jesus was just beautiful. When I opened my eyes, as we were continuing to sing, the stage was empty because the band had gotten us started singing this and then walked off stage. And everyone continued to sing. And in fact, we finished... The, the little chorus, and we started it again. I don't know whose idea it was, but somebody just decided, nope, we got to sing this one more time. And so we all sang together. Nobody on stage. We all sang this little chorus together. And then when we were finished, we got up and we left. And it was so beautiful because the focus wasn't on third day. The focus wasn't on the band. In a very individualistic society, you go to a concert, and the goal is to walk away going, wow, that band's amazing, whatever, and the focus to be on them. But I walked away from that concert focused on Jesus. It was beautiful. This morning, we're, like I mentioned, we're wrapping up our series in 1 Peter, And it ends with this passage that seems to be full of these multiple brief independent thoughts, uh, but rather it actually carries this one theme throughout all of them, and it's the theme of humility. Today's title is A New Posture. A New Posture. In our culture, as was true for the people to whom Peter was initially writing, humility was not the norm. The concept of being humble was a different posture than many would have taken. 
And it's a different posture than many of us take today. But this concept of humility is what drives the tail end of Peter's letter. So let's take a look at it together. First Peter chapter five, we're gonna start in verse six. We're gonna read through the whole passage and then we're gonna get into it. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. I want to focus this morning on three truths Peter points out as he encourages his readers towards humility. Then we'll take a few minutes to look at how Peter wraps up his letter. The first truth, and if you like taking notes, this is your first blank to fill in, is be humble knowing God. Be humble knowing God. There's a shift that happens between the, the previous passage and the passage we're looking at this morning. The passage that Peter, or I'm sorry, that Michael talked about yesterday in 1 Peter was talking about this idea of mutual humility. Verse 5 says, to clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And so this humility is focused on other people. You be humble to other people, other people be humble to you. But here in verse six, there's a shift that happens with this humility. It says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. So it's a shift from mutual humility to humility before God. This phrase, the mighty hand of God. It's so easy to kind of gloss over this phrase, especially if you grew up in church. Oh yeah, the mighty hand of God. Sure, I know about that being totally honest, I did this as I was studying this passage, as I was preparing for this morning. I I looked at this and I'm like, yep, the mighty hand of God. Okay, like where are those main themes? Okay, got to keep moving. Where is it? But then I realized the significance, the foundational importance of this simple phrase. The more that I understand the mighty hand of God, the more I realize how great he is and how little I am. Any semblance of arrogance or pride is quickly squashed as you know more of God's might. So let's linger for just a minute and zoom in. This phrase, the hand of God, is used all over Scripture. 
And it's never referring to a physical hand, but rather to the concept of power and strength. It's most often part of the phrase, the right hand of God. And this is in reference to Jesus and his seat in heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God. And the right hand of God is a seat of authority and power. Here's a couple other verses where this phrase, the hand of God, is used in Job 19.21. And if you know Job, you know that he has been afflicted with this suffering and with this pain. He says, have mercy on me, O you, my friends, for the hand of God has touched me, this hand of power. In Ezra 8.31, it says, the hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy. The hand of God signifies power and strength. That phrase in and of itself, the hand of God. But in case you miss it, Peter adds a little bit of emphasis. He says, the mighty hand of God. You don't need the word mighty, but he wants to drive home the point. We are talking about the mighty hand of God. Brothers and sisters, our God is mighty. I thought about taking a little time here to, to share some different stories from different people, from some of you, from myself, about the way that God's mighty hand has been seen. But the more I thought about it, the more I said, you know what? Let's let scripture do the talking. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God spoke all the stars, the sun, the moon, everything we see in the sky in a moment was there. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind and all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on the right hand and on the left. And here was Moses' response to that. He said, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me. And Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. The mighty hand of God. Our God is mighty. And so we need to approach him with humility. In Job 37, it says, the Almighty, we cannot find him. He is great in power, justice and abundant righteousness. He will not violate. 
Therefore, men fear him. He does not regard any who are wise in their own conceit. He does not regard any who are wise in their own conceit. In other words, those who are proud. And this was a wrestle for Job because he kept trying to stand up. No, I'm righteous. I'm good. And in the verses that follow what I just read, God lays into Job. Job, you think you're something? Where were you when I created the heavens? When I created the heavens? Can you control the weather? Can you decide when the sun rises and when the sun sets? Can you control these wild beasts that are roaming throughout the earth? No? It's time to shut your mouth, Job. It says in Ecclesiastes, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Our God is mighty, the mighty hand of God. This should drive us towards humility. And this is such an important foundation because, like I said, you know, especially if you've grown up in church, you've, you've heard these stories before, and sometimes it's so easy to gloss over. But just to pause and reflect, hold on. We have a mighty God. And so we need to be humble before him. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So that's truth number one. But this next truth that Peter points to, it almost breaks my brain. Look at verses six and seven. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is the second truth. Be humble knowing God cares for you. God cares for you. He knows you intimately. He knows your name. He knows everything about you. And it's not just knowledge. It's knowledge that's the foundation of relationship. He cares. Listen to Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. 
Do you hear the intimacy here? God knows us, knows what we're thinking, knows what we're going to say before we say it. That is an intimate relationship. He loves us. He hems us in behind before he's laid his hand upon us. He knows us. I, um, I've been watching little clips of this show, Undercover Boss. Maybe you've seen it before. Undercover Boss is where a CEO will dress up in disguise and, and go into the, the stores of the organization, go into different parts of the organization and, and work with people that he or she normally wouldn't and interacts with the people and tries to learn about, you know, what are some of the challenges in the organization? What are some things that are going well? And then at the end of the show, the, the CEO will reveal who he or she is and sit with the employees that they interacted with earlier in the show. And as they interact with the employees, they find out, oh, you know, I'm having this financial trouble or this is difficult or whatever. And and the CEO will address those like, hey, I want to give you some money to help you with college, or I want to give you a raise, or I you know, want to give you a promotion, whatever. But I think what always catches me is that here is the CEO talking with someone way down the chain, and the CEO knows that person's name and knows their story, and is interacting with them. And I think that's part of just the reason that these employees are caught off guard. Whoa, hold on, the CEO cares about me. The CEO knows me. Isn't this (laughs) undercover boss to the nth degree, right? But he's not undercover, right? He, He makes himself very well known. But he knows my name. He knows everything about me. He cares about me. And in and of itself, the fact that he cares for me humbles me and leaves me in awe. But Peter doesn't stop there. He points to two things that flow from God's care. First, because God cares, we don't have to worry Peter tells his readers to cast all their anxieties on God. Cast all your anxieties on him. We have a mighty God, which we just talked about. He's capable of more than we could ever imagine. And on top of that, he cares about us. So because this powerful God cares intimately about us and knows our every need, what do we have to worry about? He can handle it all and always has your best interest in mind. Now, some of you might be quick to tell me you've never seen God's mighty hand at work in your life. You doubt he's ever been capable. You doubt if he notices. You doubt if he cares. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter six. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, 
and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Are you not of more value than they? You are valuable to God. He cares for you. He loves you. He's walking with you and providing for you. This mighty God we just talked about cares about you. I know how valuable I am. It's not very valuable. Some of you are nodding your heads. You also know I'm not very valuable. That's fine. It's true. But God sees value in me. God sees value in you. This amazing God, this creator of the universe, finds you valuable. So don't worry. Piece of cake, right? If you're struggling with this, I'd encourage you to go back again and again to the promises of God found in his word. He never changes. I, the Lord, do not change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the same powerful God we read about in scripture, the same God that cares for his people in the Bible is the same God that is powerful enough to deal with the issue that you are facing today. He's the same God that cares about you. You matter to him. You're valuable to him. No, yeah. So yeah, this idea of worrying, it's, it's not easy because we're really good at worrying. I'm really good at worrying. But the more you focus on these truths, that God is mighty and that he cares for you, the more you're able to put those together and trust that he is capable to care. The more you are able to stop worrying. God's got this. Because God cares, we don't have to worry. And because God cares, he wants to use us for his glory. He wants to use us. It says um, in our passage, it says, at the proper time, he may exalt you. That's verse six. At the proper time, he may exalt you. Peter points to this idea earlier in his letter. We read it just a few weeks ago. 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11, look at it. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You see where that gift comes from? From God. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. God's giving that strength. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him beyond belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In everything, God may be glorified. This is the point of him exalting you. It's to bring him glory. He's the one that does the exalting, not you. So don't push it. Wait for it. Be listening to him. And it says at the proper time. You know who determines what that proper time is? It's not you. 
It's God. So if you're anything like me and you're like, God, I've, I've got this great idea and it's gonna bring tons of people to you and it's gonna glorify you, it's gonna be amazing and it's gonna happen at this time and this is how it's gonna happen and it's gonna be great. Okay, God, here we go. And God's just like, oh, Ben. Oh, Ben, that's the wrong idea. Good try, but no. And so we need to wait on God's timing. We need to wait. We need to be listening to him. He's the one that does the exalting at his time and in his way. See where that focus is? It's not on me. His timing, his way. He's the one that's doing the directing. The glory needs to go to him at his time. So we know God's mighty. We know he cares. Both of these ideas help us to have this new posture of humility. And Peter continues talking about humility, though on the surface it may not seem like it. Look at verses 8 to 11 of our passage. It says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, the main topic of these verses is standing up against Satan's attacks, which bring about suffering. So how does this connect to humility? Peter's encouraging his readers not to take lightly the ever-present attacks of the enemy. Don't get overconfident. That's what he means when he says to be sober-minded. Don't get overconfident. Proverbs 11 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Or as Paul says in regards to temptation, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. You may have at one point set up guardrails or rules or guidelines to to help combat a specific temptation, something that you may have been struggling with. I'm gonna set up these guardrails to make sure that I don't fall into this temptation again. And then maybe those guardrails have have brought you success in fighting and dealing with this temptation. And you go, great, I'm doing awesome. I haven't been struggling with this recently. Maybe I can let those guardrails down. Don't, don't, just no. That's where Satan wants to get you. He wants to get you confident. He wants to get you self-confident. I got this. I can take this on. I can stand up against this temptation. Look at how great I'm doing. The focus has shifted, and it's now on you and your capability. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Keep those guardrails up. Keep those protections around. Because the truth of the matter is that you don't have the strength to stand up on your own. 
you don't have the strength to stand up against temptation on your own. That's why Paul says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our strength to stand up against temptation comes from God. That's why Peter says in verse nine, resist him firm in your faith. Not firm in yourself, not firm in your own capabilities, firm in your faith. And this is actually great news. You don't have to rely on yourself to defeat the devil. Woohoo! <laughs> you get to lean on your faith in God. You get to. You get to lean on the strength that He gives you to resist. James says it this way in James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Do you see how it starts with submitting to God and then resist? Not, hey, hunker down. You got this. No, no, no. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. How do we do this? Paul goes into detail in Ephesians 6 when he uh, talks about the whole armor of God. But let me just read you the first couple of verses in that passage. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. See that focus strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. It's not your strength. It's not your might. It's his strength and it's his might. The strength to resist comes from God. And it's a strength he gladly and freely gives us. Peter gives us two encouragements regarding these attacks. First, you're not alone. You are not alone in these attacks. Verse nine, it says that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So lean on your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for each other. Encourage each other. Look for ways to do life together. We talked about, uh, Caleb talked about Sunday Night Lights, which is coming up, which is a great way to get connected. Ricky's been working hard on uh, starting a bunch of community groups in the fall. And if that's something that, man, I was in a community group a long time ago and I just haven't been in one in a long time, or gosh, I've never been in a community group before. It's a great way to get connected with other believers that are walking, running after Jesus, and, and you get to walk through life with them. You get to do life together. How is your week? What's going on? What, how can I be praying for you? You know what? I'm struggling with this. You know what? Me too. Here's a way I've found some success in that. Awesome. Thank you. Let's pray for each other. Let's keep each other accountable. Caleb mentioned the Connect card, and on the Connect card, there's a box that just says, I'd like to get connected to a group. If you want to know more about community groups, just check that box. Drop it in the offering on your way out. Um, stop by the tent afterwards. We'd love to get you connected to a group. You're not alone in this. You're not alone. Second encouragement Peter gives regarding these attacks is that they won't last forever. Verse 10 starts out by saying, after you have suffered a little while. Now, granted, some of you may feel like, ah, oh, that verse isn't right because I've been suffering for a long time. It does not feel like a little while. And 
I'm not trying to make light of it at all because that's absolutely true. But when you step back and look at the light, the scope of eternity, it is a little while. It does end. There is an ending. Spoiler alert, God wins. I just gave it away. Sorry. But this is a spoiler worth having, right? God wins in the end. And so all this suffering that we're dealing with, all the challenges that we're facing are temporary. They're going to stop at some point and there will be a day when we will get to stand at the feet of Jesus and just celebrate him forever. How beautiful is that? These sufferings won't last forever. So God strengthens you to stand against Satan's attacks. He's also growing you to become more like him. Look at the rest of verse 10. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, with these four things here, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish, Peter's intention isn't to point to four different things that God will do for you, but rather re-emphasizing one thing that he's doing for you. It's similar to like if I said that in and out is absolutely, totally, and without question, the best fast food burger chain. I'm not saying three different things about in and out but rather I'm emphasizing one thing, that it's the best. It, the re repetition is there for emphasis. So here we've got these four words. Restore is preparing, completing, making adequate, putting in order, adjust, mend, equip, supply. This word confirm can also be translated as make more able or strengthen. And then this word strengthen can be translated also as make more firm, set, or establish. And then this word establish can be translated as lay a foundation, provide a basis, cause to be steadfast. Do you see how these words overlap with each other? The point is not, here's four different things that God is doing, but rather one thing that is emphasized over and over. He's building into you. He's pouring into you. He's making you stronger. He's establishing you. He's building you up to become more like him. Putting the four together is providing a picture of how he's growing us to be more like him. He's called you to his eternal glory. He's building within you a strength, a wholeness, a foundation that is beyond you, that is greater than you can imagine. And of course, the credit goes to him. Verse 11, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The focus is not on you. It's not on me. It's on him. So in the same way, I walked away from that third day concert, not with the focus on them, but rather on God. I want people to walk away from interactions with me with the focus not on me, but on Jesus. As John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. So Peter points his readers to this new posture, this posture of humility. He reminds us of who God is, both mighty and caring, and he points to ways that God strengthens us. He then goes on to conclude his letter with a few greetings and a final exhortation. Let's look at these last few verses, verses 12 to 14. 
By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who's at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Now, I'll just mention, uh, the, the people that are mentioned here are fascinating. We're not gonna get into them. I'd encourage you to dive into them. Uh, Sylvanus is another name for Silas. Uh, and Mark is referring to John Mark. Both of these men are mentioned multiple times throughout the New Testament, a ton in the book of Acts. I'd encourage you to dive in, to read through Acts, find out more about these guys, their connection to Peter. She who is at Babylon is most likely referring to the church in Rome. With all of these things, here's the beauty of it. The beauty is that there is depth to God's word. And if you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, the more you read this word, the more you get to know God. And the more you just are blown away and, and marvel at the depth of who he is. And so I encourage you, dive in more into God's word. Study it more. There are so many cool like little connections that even after walking for a long time with Jesus, you get to discover for the first time. There's so much good stuff in here. Dive into it. Let's look at this final exhortation. Peter's final exhortation and summary of his letter is to stand firm in God's grace and peace. Stand firm in God's grace and peace. This is Peter's bookend to his letter because he actually starts with this as well. Chapter one, verse two, he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. He both starts and ends with this. So that's the first thing that his readers hear and the last thing that his readers hear. Remember, he's writing this letter to exiles, believers who recognize that this is not their home, that they belong elsewhere. When you're not at home, things are a little bit more difficult. I, we have this tradition in my family that started with my parents and has passed down to, to me and my wife, and we're passing this down to our kids. As soon as we leave for a trip, the first game is, okay, what did we forget? Got to figure it out, you know? Because once we figure that out, then we go, okay, now we can relax. Now that we know what we've forgotten, right? What we've left behind. Usually it's not a person, thank goodness. <laughs> so far, so good. We'll see. Uh, but, you know, it's this sense of like, we're leaving behind our, our comfortable space. You know, the space where we're relaxed, where we're settled, you should never really feel settled in a hotel. It's meant to be temporary. And so in the same way, this is not our home. This world is not our home. Jesus is preparing a place for us. We don't belong here. So we should never really feel settled. As Christians in California, this is pretty easy because we are in the minority. This isn't our home. So to give us strength to continue running after Jesus, encouraging us in the midst of our suffering, Peter points us to God's grace and peace. God's grace and peace. This grace, he talks about it all over the letter. Grace sustains us 
for it is what saved us and what is preparing for us an eternal glory in Christ. It's a gift that's undeserved. He mentions it uh, multiple times. Here's one mention. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's 1 Peter 1.13. In our passage this morning, it says, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this, this whole letter, everything that Peter wrote, is the true grace of God. So when you're feeling defeated, attacked, like you just don't belong, take time to stand firm in God's grace. He saved you. He called you. He's growing you to become more like him. He's preparing for you a future free of suffering and full of Jesus. That's God's grace and God's peace. God's peace keeps us firmly planted on the foundation of his might and care for us. Paul says it well in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. He says, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. So when life feels chaotic or uncertain, you can find an unnatural, holy rest in the center of the storm. Friends, this is not our home. We should never feel totally settled here. Peter knew this, and so he wrote this letter inspired by the Holy Spirit to encourage Christians to stand strong in the midst of suffering, to live differently, showing others the radical love of Jesus. May we continue to pay attention to the instructions and encouragements in this letter. May we continue to live in the new normal that we were invited into when we gave our lives over to Jesus. May we continue to stand firm in God's grace and peace because this life is not about us. It's all about him. God, I'm at a loss for words. You are so mighty and so holy. And yet you care about us. You strengthen us. And you've given us your grace and your peace to sustain us as we continue to live in a place that's not our own. That's not our home. May you help us to be ever present. May you use us in powerful and mighty ways to show you off so that you get the credit, so that you get the honor, so that you get the glory in every interaction we have with others. May you keep our eyes open to opportunities where we can show you off. We love you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. 
Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.